Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Jazz Mostert, and you're listening it to... Is, look, it's Inside great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bolt, so... Um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but... So we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead, you could say. It's just, it's, they're just, there's <laughs> good racing and I enjoy it. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to Inside Supercars. As uh, once again, we look at what's going on, not just in Australia and their supercars, but with a lot of interest on what's going on in the world scene. Joining us this week from Inside Motorsport, it's Peter Norton. Good evening, Craig. And uh, Tom Worsley, still out there freelancing, and I know uh, we should actually give you a number to contact or an email address for people who want to get you on board. Oh, I, I won't take too much of a plug there, but uh, search for me on LinkedIn. Great to be on the show. Thanks, Craig. And for the first time in quite some time, from drive.com.au, it's Dave McCowan. Good evening, Dave. Good evening. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, great to have you back on the show, and uh, particularly since we're going to look at international the scene internationally. And, Dave, you've just returned from the Nuremberg 24-hour, which is a, a touring car race, and... Um, or, yeah, the touring car race is probably the right thing to call it. And then, of course, the Le Mans 24-hour, which is certainly a sports car race. I, yes, I'm a very fortunate boy. I've had an absolutely amazing month. Um, and was, yeah, lucky enough to go along to two of the world's great endurance races at the Nürburgring and Le Mans. And, um, yeah, keen to have a chat about it. Mm. Well, Peter, it's uh, an event that I know you want to go to, but you've had the experience at the Indy 500, the Daytona 500, uh, a number of other champ car and Indy car races around the world. Uh, there's certainly a lot of similarities between what the fan experiences here in Australia and what you see at these big prestigious races. It is quite remarkable. Uh, I think Australia, for some of its iconic events, um, we really do punch above our weight uh, in, in many regards. Although I was just uh, sure sort of introducing that point I was sort of pondering traffic jams at Queensland Raceway to uh, how efficiently they get the the hundreds of thousands of people in and out of Indianapolis on race day Um, there's still plenty that we can learn particularly where the numbers get bigger but in terms of the 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 vibe of the event uh, we've got some great events Mm. and I guess Tom the a thing is, you unless you have those opportunities to go overseas and to see what's happening, you don't always appreciate just how professional Australian motorsport is. Absolutely. I, I'm listening to the experiences that the other two have had and uh, very jealous at the moment. Um, you know, uh, from what I've, what I've been told, we've, we've actually got it really good in Australia and it actually upsets me when people complain about not getting access to drivers at supercar events. They're, they're actually quite easy to catch. There's plenty of autograph sessions, and um, you know, it's, it's not too rare to catch them for a quick chat as they're between the transporter and the garage. So I think we've, we've got it great. For yourself, Dave, what was your experience and what's your comparison of the two events you've just been at, at Nürburgring and Le Mans? Well, um, they they each have a little bit of a different character. Um, the Nürburgring 24-hour is 
it's kind of like a giant Bathurst 12-hour, if you will. Um, you know, the cars are very similar. You've got your GT3 spec machinery from the likes of Mercedes and Audi and BMW and all those guys are there. And the paddock is wide open. You don't really need any kind of special access to get around to the back of the garages, to see the back of the teams, um, you know, to catch up with drivers and things like that. It's all very open and friendly. You know, Mercedes had a... Um, Mercedes had a fan area there that looked like with a multi-story building that had a restaurant in it and they had a, you know their Formula 1 car and their DTM car and the F1 safety car on display and things like that and there was no no one checking at the door to see who could and couldn't go in it was just really open friendly chilled out thing and that was that was sort of around the Grand Prix area and of course at Nürburgring you've got um, you know 21 kilometres of the circuit is just in the forest on the Nordschleife and that is just like camping up the top at Bathurst, except slightly more mad, because there are less restrictions on the punters. They can they can build structures, they can use scaffolding, they can do all kinds of weird and wacky things that we've sort of ruled out in Australia. Um, I think one of the as of going as a as a journo, it was very easy a very easy place to work. But as a fan roaming around, one of the things I really noticed was the a lack of a police presence over there. Um, and it, it's almost as though police at their supercar events are waiting for trouble to erupt. Um, you know, you see them around in big numbers all the time. It's a very high visibility operation. Whereas at Nürburgring, it wasn't there. And people were behaving themselves and, you know, generally looking after each other. It's really cool. Um, Le Mans is a little bit different. Le Mans, you know, it's, it's the world's biggest race. It's a little bit more like something... It's a little bit more like the Formula One in that... Uh, there is a bit more control around who can and can't access, you know, things like the paddock and the garages, um, and it's becoming more and more professional. But it was interesting to see a bit of pushback from the from the WEC and the ACO, the organisers of the event this year. Um, for a little while there, Audi and Toyota and Porsche, the big teams, when they were servicing their cars, they would block the view of photographers and of uh, of the public from seeing what lie what lay underneath the skin of these amazing prototype race cars. Um, you know, they physically stand and almost link arms and form a barrier or, you know, place the rear deck, the, the main element of bodywork in front of the car so people couldn't see. Um, and the ACO came out and banned that and said, no, guys, you can't do that. You have to retain an element of open access so that people can see what's going on. And, um, yeah, I, I think they're both great events and they do reinforce, as Tom is um, just how special V8 Supercars is because you we really really do have a great thing in V8 Supercars. It's a it's a very professional, well-run sport uh, with an extremely close level of competition, and we can see that with just the amazing variety of winners that we've had this year. Mm. Now, Tom, you've had that experience of being embedded into teams and, and working in that environment. So probably you're the best positioned out of all of us to talk about how much thought is given to all these access uh, all these access periods throughout the weekend because literally fans can do a grid walk and speak to the driver within five minutes of him strapping himself into the race. Absolutely. It's a very delicate balance. You've got um, sponsor commitments, you've got fan commitments, and the primary job of actually racing. So from the team's point of view, uh, there's a lot of uh, juggling of when do we have the pit tours come through, 
but still allow the, the crew to service the car without having 40 people in the garage. And at the, the high-pressure events and those marquee events like Bathurst and, and Townsville, Clipsal and Homebush, the corporate commitment is a lot higher um, but the stakes are also higher because there's there's more eyes. So it, it's actually a really interesting dynamic of, of having to, to balance out to make sure that everyone's happy and making sure that the engineers can do their thing, the drivers can, can do what they're there to ultimately do, and that's win races, while also making sure that the uh, corporate dollars come in. And critically, Tom, I think is the fact that it's not just, you, you mentioned about pit tours, but while that pit tour is going on, you potentially have a driver in a in a, a vendor area or you have them up in a corporate box. So they're not even closely linked to the team that has got access to the car. You are, you are literally pulling them to opposite ends of the, uh, of the paddock or even the race circuit. Absolutely, and, and that's why a lot of teams have, have implemented blockout periods certain times over the weekend, which typically will be about an hour before the sessions, um, you know, just so that the drivers can have a bit of me time and, and focus on getting ready, getting in the zone and making sure that they get in the head as opposed to having to rush from a corporate commitment upstairs and having people try and grab that last minute autograph when they're, they're 30 seconds away from having to, to be out on track. Now Peter, you you do work as a photographer on race weekends. How well received would uh, a situation like David mentioned over in Europe where they were actually physically blocking you from getting the photos you needed? Um, it's hard to picture that because Bad Supercars has never really had that culture. Um, we respect certain boundaries that the teams um, uh, have requested, um, in particular photographs of suspension setups and uh, shock absorber settings. Uh, that's something that uh, they've uh, sometimes uh, politely asked me, you know, please no photos of that kind of thing. And you, you respect some of those quite strategic things. Uh, but the sport does have, uh, in many respects, uh, you'd almost describe it as a, an open bonnet policy uh, that uh, a lot of the work around the engine bay, um, that seems to be quite open. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't think it would go down well and it would uh, uh, be a bit abrasive against the culture that they've tried to develop if a team did try to uh, uh, quite explicitly cover things up. Um, yeah, uh, cloak and dagger. Sometimes it's uh, you know a bit of fun. Uh, I think there's plenty of stories out there for uh, when a car has crashed and it's uh, uh, resting on its roof. People go and have a sticky beak at uh, some of the clever, uh, innovative things that teams have fabricated. Um, but yeah, thankfully we're we're not to that point of closed roller doors or little skirts around the uh, the, the clever parts. I think that's. Uh, uh, just a, a, a charade that, that, that our sports doesn't need. Mm. And I think, and I think another factor there, and I'm, I'm sure Dave will probably agree with me. Uh, there's a big difference between supercars, where essentially they're all very similar. Yes, there are some, some big differences between Volvo, Ford, and Nissan and Holden, uh, but essentially they're very similar. Um, whereas at Le Mans, they are they are literally prototypes. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. There are very, very significant technical differences between what the cars are doing uh, at Le Mans, more so than you'd see in V8 supercars, and it was certainly more so, but also more than you'd find in things like Formula One as well, because you can run literally whatever engine you can dream up, just as long as it uses a certain amount of energy, which is one of the things that I find really, um, really beautiful and attractive about that form of racing. It certainly is wide open to innovation. Mm. Although, I, I must say, I mean, I don't do a lot in V8 supercars now. I probably only uh, attend one or two rounds a year as a journalist. Um, it's not really part of my current role, but I do think there's been a bit of a cultural change in the way that V8 supercars handled. I think, you know, 10 years ago or so, um, when I was first working in the sport, it was very, very easy to work within garages, to quickly approach team managers and principals and drivers and all that sort of thing, whereas now there's a lot more control over the over the sport. And I, I guess that's something that comes with this professionalism, but in a way it's also a little disappointing to see. Mm. And in some cases, the media managers want to step in the way, but because you've been in pit lane so long, you just go and see the person you want to speak to anyway and and uh, all of a sudden you've got the quote that they were trying to uh, stop you from getting. So uh, it's it's also a case of just the media pack is just um, so ingrained with the the fabric of the sport that uh, some of those some of those methodologies just uh, completely fail. Hey, we need a break here on Inside Supercars, but when we return, plenty more. We might actually have a look at some of the people who are overseas from Fiat Supercar land. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two level two the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with... Uh, well, we normally have a threesome on the show, but a foursome on the show is something very different. Dave McCowan, Peter Norton, and Tom Worsley, along with me, Craig Ravel. And, uh, Tom, I, I know you and Peter off here made fun of me for calling Shaheen Van Gisbergen an Australian, but uh, I guess what I was trying to get to was uh, V8 Supercard people that are doing well overseas. And the Giz last weekend showed just how good a driver he is with the uh, Paul Ricard 1,000-kilometre um, event in the Blank Pain series becoming another victory in this young driver's amazing career. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, let's face it, any successful New Zealander, Australia has claimed Finn Brothers, uh, Russell Crowe, and, until he starts throwing phones, I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll, we'll claim SVG as our own. But uh, you know, it, it just goes to show how versatile he's become. You know, he can go from uh, racing V8 supercars one week, jump on a plane, fly halfway around the world, and, and then win in uh, in the northern hemisphere as well. Uh, he's just. I, one of the most underrated talents, I think, um, on a global level. 
When you were overseas, Dave, did many people talk to you about uh, Shane Van Gisbergen and uh, what he's been able to achieve over there? Yeah, he certainly is building a bit of a profile. That's uh, the Blanc and Endurance Series that he's part of there is a really serious form of motorsport that is attracting quite a, a few drivers of some note. Um, you know, some of the guys that are racing in his series are going on to do things like Le Mans and Nürburgring 24 Hour, and I expect to see Shane uh, take part in those races in the in the near future. I haven't spoken with him about it for a little while, um, but he certainly he certainly is somebody who's on a few radars, and it was it was interesting. Uh, I might be. No, this isn't telling tales out of school. It was interesting to see a, a former colleague of his in, in John O'Webb as a guest of Audi at the moment on the weekend, um, having a bit of a look and how things how things run on the sports car circuit as well. Mm, of course, they've got the link with McLaren here in Australia, so that is an interesting garage to uh, see John O'Webb in. Peter, uh, mm. also uh, interesting is the Nissan Australia uh, efforts with Matt Simmons over there in the Pro-Am class and unfortunately classified 14th after uh, the car was hit early in the race, which put them into a lengthy repair period. That, that's a, a great story, isn't it? The, the whole uh, evolution of his career as a racing driver. Uh, I understand he was a, a delivery driver uh, before he picked up the, uh, the game controller and impressed a few people. Um, and of course, uh, yeah, made it into that Nissan Academy program, where he impressed enough people to uh, uh, the the original program that was uh, proposed for, for uh, the people he did well in the academy. Uh, they've actually enhanced it to create a few more opportunities for him. So uh, I agree, Craig. It's a little bit heartbreaking that uh, uh, that he's had a little bit of a tangle with someone and. Uh, uh, Without having seen it, I don't know uh, uh, if he was an innocent party or whether it was a racing incident, but uh, so much effort has gone into that over such a long period of time, uh, physical training, driver training, uh, picking up routes and moving overseas to participate in that. Um, yeah, I hope that uh, in future races he can uh, bring it home something a bit stronger than the 14th. Uh, it looks like he's got the ability um, and uh, he can take his career to further steps. Mm. Now the blank screen, sorry? It's a, it's a little bit harder to fix it for, in real life than on, on PlayStation where you just hit uh, start, restart, race. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm good at that step, the restarting. <laughs> and of course, the Blank Paint series goes to what is uh, one of the the great uh, sports car races, well, GT3 races anyway, the 24 Hours of Spa at the end of July, and that's the uh, next time the gears will be in action there along with uh, Matt Simmons as well. Now, David, it's not just drivers who are making a name for themselves internationally. Uh, of course, uh, you have engineers going all over the world, and and you got to spend a bit of time with a very successful engineer in Jeremy Moore, JJ, who not only adds Vert Supercar credits and uh, wins to his, uh, you know, already impressive CV, he adds engineering the winning Le Mans 24-hour car to that list of uh, accomplishments. What a story. This is this is a remarkable achievement by a young Australian, you know, flying his fortune and living out his dream uh, on the other side of the world. Um, 
yeah, I was I was very lucky to spend quite a bit of time with uh, with JJ over in Le Mans. Um, my media colleague Paul Gover and I caught up with him before the race and got a got a behind the scenes tour of the Porsche facility at Le Mans, which was just outstanding. Um, and afterwards, yeah, had a really really good chat with him. It's up on uh, it's up on drive.com.au. It's quite a lengthy read, but if you're interested in this sort of stuff, it's definitely worth a look. Um, what JJ or Jeremy had to say was was fascinating. I mean, the guy achieved pretty much all there is to achieve in V8 supercars. He picked up a great Bathurst win in 2010 with Craig Lance and Mark, Schaaf, Mark Scaife sharing the Triple Eight Commodore. Um, and the next year, it was only a few months later that Craig Lance drove an Audi at the Bathurst 12-hour for, for Yoast um, in the first year that GT3 cars were allowed to run at Bathurst. And he went along for a little bit of a look I had a chat with him there where he sort of expressed an interest in, in going beyond. Um, and then it was in 2014 that uh, Craig Lowndes subbed in for the, the tragically deceased Alan Simonson with Maranello Motorsport in a Ferrari at the Bathurst 12-hour. Jeremy took charge of that car, engineered it to the wing, and pretty much decided then and there that he was going to try his wares outside of, uh, outside of Australia. And... Here he is. I mean, in 2014, last, oh, sorry, 2015, last year, he was a, the performance engineer or the number two engineer on Mark Webber's car that finished second at Le Mans and won the World Endurance Championship. Promoted to the lead engineer for their second car, the Neil Jarni, Romain Dumas, and Mark Lee car at, uh, at the World Endurance Championship. You know, he's, <laughs> he won the first race, got on the podium at the second race at the Spa uh, at Le Mans qualified on pole and um, and took a very dramatic victory at the end. It's It really doesn't get much better than that. Mm, indeed, and, uh, and just goes to show that uh, you you really aren't limited by uh, your location here in Australia, are you? Uh, and, of course, James Small left there at Supercars to go over engineering in the States and, and you know, has had a, uh, well, a solid time, solid performance over there. Um, also, Dave, you were mentioning about Roman Dumas, who JJ was uh, engineering after his Le Mans yeah. wins. He's gone over to Pikes Peak and under nine minutes has uh, won that 100th anniversary. Um, I was interested to see that Tony Quinn finished 18th outright in a Ford Focus hill climb uh, vehicle. Um, of course, Jeb- Jeremiah Pike said that Yonder Mountain will never be... Uh, will never be uh, scaled by mortal man and now they're going up it in under nine minutes so i guess he got that one wrong but they still named the mountain after him or they continue to name the mountain after him and and just while we're talking about australian and uh, australian drivers overseas the u.s formula Four Two Thousand 2000 championship you had three australians on the podium at the end of uh, the race you had anthony martin lloyd who from memory was in the formula fours last year and luke gabin uh, all those guys under 22 years of age. In fact, I think Lloyd would only be about 20 at the most. And here they are in, uh, you know, one of the roads to Indy. Um, whilst we're talking Indy, you had Will Powell win on the weekend. So, you know, absolutely amazing how well and how strong the uh, motorsport scene is in Australia um, at the moment. I think given how far removed from the rest of the world we are, we punch well above our weight when it comes to um, international motorsport. 
Mm. All right, a break here on Inside Supercars. We might bring things a little closer to home because there's been some big news in the uh, silly season right here on Inside Supercars next. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and we're unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Tom Worsley, Peter Norton, and also Dave McCowan. And uh, plenty of news in the local scene of their supercars, or supercars as it will officially be known by the end of the week. And, uh, well, Peter, Scotty Mack heading to DJR Team Penske, Scotty Pye looking for a drive. One of those uh, worst keep worst kept secrets kind of uh, deals. Um, it's been uh, uh, widely suggested for quite a while, uh, been uh, denied for quite a while. Uh, we should go back and check some of our uh, tapes about uh, uh, you know, quotes by different people saying we've not spoken. Um, it seems to have come together pretty quickly since then. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of surprises and. Uh, a little bit sad, a bit heartbreaking to see how quickly the Gary Rogers team uh, goes from being you know, close to the top of the perch to now they'd be scratching their head thinking, next year's going to be bloody tough. Tom, what's your yep. read? Absolutely. I, I think um, one of the major factors for Scotty at this point would have been uh, not having that factory support from Volvo next year. And if you're going to be with a team that isn't aligned with a manufacturer, you may as well be with Roger. You know, there's plenty of resources at, the, at his disposal there. And from a career point of view, for someone who's expressed an interest in racing NASCAR potentially at some point, you know, it's it's a very smart move. And as for uh, Scotty Pye, I think uh, once again we've got um, the headline of out of a drive, which seems to be a bit of a theme in, in his career. Mm. Dave, what have you made of it all? Yeah, I, I think McLaughlin has definitely made the right move here. Um, the writing's been on the wall for a little bit with with Volvo, and I I agree that I think GRM are going to struggle in the next in the next couple of years. Um, particularly if, as I suspect, they're not going to be allowed to run the Volvo body shell um, in the next in the next season or two. And yeah, as as you're saying, Tom, there's a there's an opportunity to be part of something bigger than um, than a V8 supercar team by working within a Penske organisation. I mean, if you look at guys like uh, like Scott Dixon, you know, obviously a very talented driver, working for Chip Ganassi. Uh, in IndyCars, and just by virtue of being part of that organisation, he gets a gig uh, at Le Mans with Ford on the weekend as well. Mm. 
yeah. just have a bit of a run around there. You know, things things like that. Those sort of opportunities are on the horizon potentially um, for McLaughlin if he stays within the organisation and continues to impress people. While unfortunately for Pi, he's uh, he's got to go knock on some doors now. Although, as we say, he has had a little bit of time to do that already. And of course, uh, when you're looking at what teams might do, this starts the trigger, doesn't it, Peter? It starts the whole silly season movement because no matter what, Gary Rogers Motorsport has got a car that can be a winning car on its day. Whether that goes into 2017 and 18 or not will be the ultimate question, but it's certainly better than being in some of the 24th, 25th, 26th place cars that are possibly looking for a driver with some cash. I think you're spot on there, particularly for a young driver that's coming up through the ranks. uh, There'll be plenty of them giving Gary a call because he uh, has such a very good track record of taking uh, young guys, uh, moulding them into becoming a, a professional racing driver and creating great opportunities for them. Um, he's done remarkably well over the years to uh, hang on to some of his drivers as long as he uh, has. Uh, but in many respects, this is uh, a continuation of that pattern of uh, a driver gets good and better funded, better paying uh, teams uh, come along and steal the talent. Um, I think it's great that the sport has uh, people that invest in talent uh, and help create those careers. Um, it would be a, a fairly stagnant pool of drivers if uh, all of the teams simply employed the well-qualified, experienced guys. Um, so, yeah, I find it also interesting that uh, you know, joining the, the Penske organisation, um, yes, they've got deeper pockets, great resources. I keep hearing how important it is to the, their new personnel, those international opportunities, uh, Phil Keed, the engineer for, for Fabian Coulthard, uh, speaking to him uh, many months back, one of the key things that led to him taking on the, the role uh, in moving up to Queensland from, uh, from Albury was the opportunity to work with the Penske organisation in North America and open up other doors. Um, you know, clever people want to take further steps and try their hand and get better at other things. Uh, and that applies for, for drivers, engineers, all sorts of roles. Mm, indeed we need to take a break here on inside supercars when we come back we might talk about the news limited drums are beating for queensland join in the conversation post your thoughts on our sport radio facebook page hi i'm nick Percat. you are listening to inside supercars each week join the inside motorsport team as they look at all the news from across australia and around the world still a bit in shock uh <laughs> Thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates to tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, where we're joined by Peter Norton, Dave McCowan and Tom Worsley, along with myself, Craig Ravel. And uh, the drums started beating. I'm not sure 
who actually was thumping the drums, but the canvas and the drum certainly had news limited all over it, where we started to see stories this week, Dave McCowan, about V8 supercars pulling out of Queensland if the Queensland government doesn't provide the funding that they think is sufficient for Townsville, the Gold Coast and for Queensland Raceways via, uh, for, for the supercar rounds? There's, there's always a bit of a tug-of-war with this, isn't there? When the V8 supercars likes to throw its weight around and uh, ideally to get governments to tip in as much money as possible in order to, um, in order to keep ticking along. I mean, it doesn't always work, though, does it? If we have a look at the, the Homebush race, which cost the New South Wales government an absolute truckload of money, over the last few years without really delivering results, that's uh, going to wrap up pretty soon. So you can see that there's an interesting discussion to be had between VF Supercars and the Queensland Government as to how much uh, how much value the sport can provide. Mm-hmm. I think it costs VF Supercars more money than the New South Wales Government, though, Peter. Uh, yes, that's right. I think the Homebush is fairly unique in the contractual structure that um, while the, the Government did chip in, uh, the government was not the promoter. Uh, they didn't have uh, open-ended exposure to losses. V8 supercar cars was the, the promoter on those ones. Um, I, I think uh, Warburton is way too tall to be trying out Bernie Eccleston kind of, uh, of threats like this. Um, and it really does smell like a Formula One-style negotiation, doesn't it? Tom? Uh, of course, the, the difference between Homebush and Townsville and particularly the Gold Coast the difference there is uh, the Queensland events are very popular and successful. They get big crowds every year. Um, of course, I can see it from the Queensland government's perspective as well. They've got a very expensive couple of years coming up with the uh, with the Commonwealth Games taking place on the Gold Coast. So, um, you know, saving, and I believe the figure quoted was $5 million on what V8 Supercars is asking... Um, will probably go a long way, whether it's a case of uh, some scare tactics from from supercars and maybe a touch of greed as well. Um, but I, I think the the rumours that the teams will will relocate out of Queensland is a little bit far fetched. Dave, is there any reason why relocating your team to Sydney might be beneficial for a a uh, potential new manufacturer to be involved? Um, it, there is there is potential there, I suppose. There are most of the most of the major manufacturers in Australia have headquartered in Melbourne. In Sydney, you've got Audi, Hyundai, uh, Kia, and currently Toyota. Although they're moving to Melbourne quite soon, um, I could say without any shadow of a doubt that Audi will not be in V8 supercars any time soon. Uh, I put the, put the question to Dr. Dr. Ulrich, the head of motorsport at Le Mans, and it's, um, it's not on the radar at all. And why would it be when they've got such a good thing going with their race program at DCG? Uh, Hyundai's a, a brand on the right. Um, you know, they're regularly outselling brands like Holden and Ford that have a lot of history in Australia. But, um, you know, they're, they're doing that without any kind of local motorsport involvement, really. And, again, there's, there's uh, not necessarily a lot to be gained by joining the sport. The manufacturer question I find quite fascinating, actually. Um, I deal 
as a motoring reporter rather than a motorsport journalist with car companies every day. And no one's really coming to me and saying, oh, should we be in V8 supercars? And no one's really talking about that. It's it's only really Lexus that's had a little bit of a sniff and they they were happy to do the safety car thing and to investigate the potential of a GT3 program using the RCF a little bit later on. Um, yeah, it is, it's a really interesting period coming up for the sport from the manufacturer's side with Holden particularly, you know, shutting their factory uh, in 2017 and putting a stop to the Commodore. Um, I can see them wanting to stay in V8 supercars to try and retain some sort of Australian branding and a bit of the loyalty that's, uh, that they've accrued over the years. But beyond that, there's... Um, there's, there's a little bit of reluctance for people to get involved in the sport, and no, I don't really see uh, teams moving to Sydney to take advantage of manufacturer involvement. Mm. Now, Peter, when people are willing to wait two and a half years for a Ford Mustang, do you need any sort of advertising other than the fact that people are waiting two and a half years? You've got to buy yours now. <laughs> um, luckily, mine wasn't quite two and a half years. I, I believe the current waiting list is around uh, 18 months. Um, oh, would dearly love to see the Mustang on the racetrack, but uh, I've spent my money, so Ford probably uh, don't see the uh, the business case in uh, supporting a team. Uh, I think the the Mustang would uh, create a great deal of fan interest, and therefore it may be worthwhile for a sponsor to uh, uh, put pressure on one of the teams. Um, yeah, the, it's a pickle that that whole question, isn't it? Um, do do you uh, win on Sunday, sell on Monday? Um, how important is it for a, a, a motor a company to have the iconic, the, the hero car uh, out there? Even though people don't buy the hero car, they buy the shopping trolley instead. Um, we, it's an age-old uh, question in, in motorsport, and I think it's uh, becoming harder and harder to justify the, the, the business case to make that part work. Hmm. But coming back to the... Uh, oh, hold the, on. The Queen... Someone wanted to add in something there. Oh, sorry. Oh. Yeah, David, David here. Um, yeah, Peter, just on the point of the hero car, that is that is something that I find um, really interesting. I sat down with Mike Hatamo, the successor to Darren Cox at the top of uh, at the top of Nissan Motorsport recently, and um, and Mike was saying that Nissan would be a little bit reluctant to use the V8 uh, the GTR in something like V8 Supercars. The GTR is absolutely Nissan's halo model, and it is their it's their vehicle in which uh, they commit to motorsport. You know, it was a part of their Le Mans program, it was a part of the GT500 program, uh, GT3, of course, and various other things that they get up to. And um, but it, they don't really want the Halo model to get beaten by, you know, a, a European Opal disguised as a Commodore. You know, that's something that is a little bit tricky um, in terms of the branding and having your Halo model uh, have, you know, sand kicked in its face by a $30,000 family car. I think that's an excellent point, and it is a big consideration. Uh, I guess it's also fascinating uh, for, for Bentley's racing against Nithins. Um, yeah. You know, some classes do bring those different uh, price points together, and it, it, it's a gutsy move for people like Bentley to uh, pitch themselves uh, against much cheaper, uh, well, if a GTR is that much cheaper than a, the Bentley, I'm sure it is. Um, but, yeah, it is uh, apples and oranges in that comparison. And it's fabulous mm. that the racing can be so equal. Tom? I think, I think when you look at why GT racing is exciting, it's because there's a lot of similarities between the road car and the race car. You know, there's 
you can actually see parallels there, whereas the Commodore and Falcon of today and the Ultima is miles apart from the race car. You know, we've, we've gone away from what the market is buying. Um, it's, it's just not tangible to see the idea of win on Sunday, sell on Monday, because one... Australians don't want to buy Commodores and Falcons and and Ultimas and um, and and two. It's it's just not the same car anymore. Mm. Perhaps the answer is that the manufacturers time it together, where the Ford teams go to the Mustang, the Holden teams go to whatever, uh, and Nissan goes to a GTR. Um, if they can synchronise that move, maybe it's more palatable for them all. Yep, and of course uh, you've got uh, Dodge with their muscle car about to hit Australia as well. So yeah. um, when I say about, I think it's two years away, Dave. Is that right? Yeah, Dodgers made a bit of noise and a few promises around this sort of stuff. I, um, I kind of believe it when I say it because Dodge hasn't invested massively in right-hand drive at all. Um, you know, cars like the, like the Charger and the Challenger haven't been engineered in right-hand drive, so they're not sold here. Mm. Um, it will it will be interesting. I you know Dodgers Dodgers got some good cars and things like the the three hundred uh, SRT and the and the Jeep SRT with its big V eight engine that would be welcomed by the V eight grid. Um, yeah, it would be it would certainly be cool to see it. But I you're probably aware that Fiat Chrysler has had some pretty serious issues to deal with with its management in Australia. Um, <laughs> and they uh, yeah they've got some other other things to worry about before they spend a lot of money going racing, given that uh, a lot of money was misspent by by previous managers that included a, a campaign at the Bathurst Straw Bower. It's a bit dicey. Yes, and uh, of course, let's face it, Audi has no head office problems back there in Europe. No. Hmm. No, not being owned by Volkswagen doesn't give you any sort of problems at all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I... Volkswagen will announce tomorrow, uh, well, Thursday morning in uh, Australian time, that they're going to spend about $14 billion uh, on fines in America. Mm, That's why, you know, they've had an effect on their Le Mans program. It's probably had an effect on their Formula One ambitions. And uh, be surprised if it doesn't touch on things like rallying as well. Mm. Certainly, yeah, Mm. wouldn't encourage them to have a big spend in racing in Australia. Mm. Well, a break and then a final thought or observation here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we're able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to up, um, take the win off him. So, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Rapsdale family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars with Peter Norton, Tom Worsley, and also Dave McCowan along with me, Craig Ravel. And uh, a final thought or observation, I'll pick Tom. I think uh, on the back of the news of Scotty McLaughlin's confirmation of DJR Penske for 2017, I think we're about to see a, a run of announcements 
this will be the uh, the first domino in in the run of. Them. All right, Peter Norton. Uh, been a year of uh, an amazing number of different winners in uh, in supercars. Uh, I think we've got uh, ten different winners in the, the year so far. I wonder who the eleventh could be. Uh, if, as we head to Townsville, Holden Racing Team have performed up there uh, quite well. Uh, I don't see it happening this time. Dave McGowan. Yeah, I I think it's been an amazing amazing year and an amazing couple of weeks for Aussie performances overseas. We've discussed a few of those today, and I've just got to give a quick shout-out to Townsville boy Jack Miller winning his first MotoGP race. It's uh, an excellent achievement. We certainly so hope to see more of that in the future. His quote was gold. Marquez wouldn't have wanted to come past me because... When this dickhead looks like he's going to fall off the bike at any moment, I wouldn't want to get close to him either. It was <laughs> the great, great lines that uh, you would see, and it could only come from an Aussie, I guess. Uh, well, who would you rather be this week? And as it is a special show with uh, three guests on, it's one who would you rather be. You've all got to give me the answer, although I will pick you out at the same time. Our championship is being led by... Two very interesting people. One in a Red Bull, the other in a Caltex car. Would you rather be Red Bull or Caltex going into the championship fight? Peter Norton. Oh, I'd rather be Red Bull. Tom? I think I'd want to be Caltex. All right, and Dave? I'll go with Caltex. Craig's had a lot of trouble with things like pit stacking in the past and a bit of internal politics and... Hopefully you can put that all behind him this year. And now you know that if you're coming in behind Will Davison, you can just shove him out the way to get you to your pit pay anyway, so no problems there. Interestingly, I've had a few emails this week and uh, comments about the starting procedures for teams further back down the pack. It'll be interesting to see when they get to Townsville if uh, the starting and probably the run to the first corner further back in the pack gets any extra attention from the Driving Standards Observer. We'll just have to see how that shapes out in the weeks to come. Thanks very much, Dave, for joining us on Inside Supercars. Thank you very much for having me. Drive.com.au. You can catch up with all your stuff there. Tom Wordsley, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on. Always fun. Peter Norton, thank you once again. Uh, it's always great fun. Thanks, guys. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars.